Hi, Elise Lunen here, co-host with Gwyneth of the Goop podcast. Today's guest is a favorite of mine, Jennifer Freed. But before we get to our conversation, I want to give a quick thanks to our friends at Celebrity Cruises who helped to make today's episode possible. Our travel editor went on a trip that redefined for us what cruising could be like. It was with Celebrity Cruises, which is a modern luxury travel brand that has proven to be a very cool company to work with. So much so that we just announced a major partnership with them called Goop at Sea. This is a wellness experience for an intimate group that will be part of an 11-day trip this August on the Celebrity Apex, which travels from Spain to France to the Italian Riviera. On day five of the cruise, I'll be sitting down with Gwyneth and asking her lots of questions about her personal wellness journey. A few very talented practitioners will lead guests through workshops for the mind, body, and soul, and I'll close the day with a final conversation. There's a lot more going on with Celebrity Cruises and Goop at Sea, so if you're interested in learning more and checking out tickets, head to celebritycruises.com slash goop at sea. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest, and I'll come back after their conversation to answer a question from one of you. If you have a question you'd like me to get into in our next round of Ask Me Anything, send it to us at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. All right, over to Elise. Jennifer Freed is a psychological astrologer and the author of Use Your Planets Wisely. Today, we're talking about the fascinating study of astrology. And trust me when I say it's much more than reading your horoscope in the newspaper. Jennifer believes that we all have a role to play that is bigger than ourselves, and that when we use our unique strengths and abilities, we can impact the world in a positive way. Our astrological charts help us recognize and discover what those strengths are. And then she explains that you can use your chart to help you understand yourself and the people around you much more deeply. Freed talks about moving out of our primitive behaviors and into evolved thinking, and that it's never a linear path. I think we're all here in a big learning museum, and our job, in my opinion, is to just keep challenging ourselves to be the most impactful we can be to ourselves and others in a positive way. Okay, let's get to my chat with Jennifer Freed. You have become one of the most important people in my life. I bet you know that, though. I actually didn't know that. It's probably the most flattering thing I could hear right oh, now. No, but we met in my early, my the beginning days of my time at Goop, four or five years ago, probably, through Lauren Roxborough. And I feel like I had to harass you, maybe, to get time on your calendar to come up to, dr- to drive up to Santa Barbara. And then you just blew my mind away. 
I had never, I mean, I think, and we'll talk about this, the idea of sun signs and the, and how incomplete that is in the context of astrology. So like I'd looked at my, my horoscope in the newspaper, like every normal person and probably bought like a couple of like horoscopes and love and relationship. But I think it's actually, I think I not lost interest in it, but when I met my husband, Rob, who you now know, we're both Sages. And I was like, this is so like... How is this possible because we are so different? So anyway, we'll talk, we can talk about our first meeting in a bit, but how did you how, tell us how you even got to this place in your life? Well, my journey started a long time ago, born in New York City, to two very intellectually curious, agnostic Jewish New Yorkers who absolutely had no interest in anything astrological or anything like that. In fact, it would be really shunned. But even as a child, I was just so fascinated with what was all of this with the planets and the signs and everything. But my formative experience happened when I was 19 and a friend said, you really should go get this astrology reading with this woman, Alvina Manning. So I enter into this home. It's a very suburban type home. And this grandma type figure who's Latina reads my chart. And I was weeping with a sense of being recognized. Mm -hmm. How did this woman I'd never met before understand me better than at that point I knew myself and anyone in my family or life had reflected me? And then my passion was lit. And I thought, I have to find out everything. So I found this woman named Lynn Stark, who was a PhD in the history of science, but also an astrologer, and I begged her to teach me. Well, back in the day, you had to mathematically calculate your own charts. It was really rigorous. And I thought, well, she's smart, so I can trust her. I'm not going to get all airy-fairy, and I spent years studying with her. And then she and I started a course for psychologists and therapists who wanted to integrate astrology. Mm. And then... I met one of my greatest teachers, Rick Tarnas, who has written for me the most important book on astrology, Cosmos and Psyche, about cultural astrology. And a few of us started a collective called Astrological Counseling Seminars, and we invited people from all over the world that were great astrologers to come to Santa Barbara, and we hosted them in these seminars. And then I started teaching and that's now been 25 years. And then you created AHA, which we'll talk about as well, and socio-emotional learning. So it's sort of, you're this, well, I would say you're a Venn diagram of four things. You might say only three, but psychologist, astrologer, sort of socio-emotional coach, teacher. And then I would also call you an intuitive, but maybe you would say that that's not true and that just comes from the chart. No, I think you're right. I am an intuitive, but what I've learned is my intuition has grown so much stronger over the last 25 years because of this discipline called psychological astrology and because I became much more open and I have a very disciplined spiritual practice. And I actually believe anyone can be very intuitive if they spend time focusing on that aspect of themselves. Yeah. So, all right. So, Similar to what you experienced, I feel like when I I decided to go and see you out of curiosity and also because I was at a crossroads, right? So this is years ago. Goop was small. 
And I didn't know. I was entertaining. I was like, do I say? Do I go? It's so funny because I recorded our whole session. And then I looked back at it recently. And your predictive powers are outstanding and crazy. Like you predicted that Brene Brown and I would work together, which is so random at the time and inconceivable. But like you, I also felt it was such a powerful meeting for me because I was like, holy shit, like how do you, again, it's that reflective, that feeling of being seen and explained. And and all of those sort of quirks and personality issues, challenges, and opportunities, I was like, oh my God, this is, I am how I am. But the way that you articulate it is also very important. Like maybe you can give your reading preamble because I think it's important. Great. This is what I like to say to people. When you come to see me, we're going to be exploring a conversation with your divine possibilities. Mm. You know yourself better than anyone. You're the expert. I can facilitate a higher understanding of what you already know to be true and maybe some things you hadn't considered so that you can have optimal functioning and joy in your life. Right. So your chart is essentially everything that's possible. It's it's sort of up to you whether you achieve it. Absolutely. And I think that's a misunderstanding a lot of people have. Free will is our choice to go toward or against our optimal possibilities. And it isn't so much that we know what to do, but we do have an inner guidance system. And if we pay attention, our fate is to become the best of who we can be. But we do have this human flaw, which is we think we know better than our own divine understanding. And so we make a lot of mistakes along the way and we can really screw our lives up. Free will. Yeah. And I like the way that you organize the book. So the reason that I think it's it's such a useful guide and manual and almost a workbook really is that the idea that we have, is it primitive, primitive adaptive, evolving? Right. So can you explain sort of what that means in the context of a chart? Yes. Well, we all have these potentials that we can achieve or we can refuse. And the book's trying to help everybody go from navel-gazing to community caring. Because a lot of astrology is about, what about me? What about me? What sign are you? But it's not really about how do we rise our energy and vibrations so that we get beyond ourselves and help other people. So the first category that we all go to is called primitive, which is when we're at the lowest skillful functioning of our planet in a sign, we're all acting out. We're all pretty self-obsessed, and we're doing things that are harmful to ourselves and others. When we get to the adaptive level, we're actually using the positive energies of that planet in the sign, and it becomes very productive for ourselves and others. But when we get to the evolving level, it means we've transcended to, for the most part, the ego, so that now we're really about service. Mm -hmm. Like, how does this planet in the sign in my chart become an action planet for the good of all? And that's what I'm really pointing to in this book that a lot of astrology doesn't. It's like we're not here just to take up space and be recognized or satisfied with ourselves. I believe that everyone has a role to play in the magnificence of creation. No one has our part to play. If we don't play it, no one will. But it's how we play it. Right. And this idea that like within the book, you can sort of, 
now there are all these apps, right, which I know you outline in the book where you can go and print out your birth chart and get all of your your all of the various indicators that then you explore in the book. And then the idea is like how do we move ourselves from primitive to ultimately evolving, right? Exactly. And a lot of compassion because here I am teaching psychological astrology. People come t- to me for consultations. Well, I spent the good part of 2018 in the primitive. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's be honest. It doesn't mean because you know what's best that you do what's best. <laughs> so I, I think, don't believe that. I promise you it's true. <laughs> Ask people that know me. I was in therapy constantly. But the truth is, we at least have a choice. Like mm-hmm. here I am in the primitive. Okay, what do I need to move myself to the adaptive and then to the evolving? Because it's not a linear path. We're always going back and forth through the better aspects of ourselves to the worse mm-hmm. aspects of ourselves. How do you think that this whole thing connects or ladders up to spirituality or like a, a bigger cosmic plan? Or do you think it doesn't? Well, I don't think there's a cosmic plan in a finite sense because we're always moving and evolving and changing and we're all intersecting. Mm -hmm. So there's a spiraling effect, I think, of our spiritual paths. And to the degree that you're evolving and then I'm around you, it's very contagious. If I'm in a primitive spot and then I'm with you, I can really bring you down. Mm -hmm. What we're learning about each other is we co-regulate each other. However my mood is or my aptitude is or my attitude is, that's going to affect you. So I don't think of this as one plan. I think we're all here in a big learning museum. And our job, in my opinion, is to just keep challenging ourselves to be the most impactful we can be to ourselves and others in a positive way. And then what is the long-term impact? Just like a, a healthier community? A healthier earth. Well, in my chart, <laughs> I'm a super romantic idealist. Yeah, so like, give it to us. The bubble is really big and get bursts a lot. <laughs> but I actually believe we can have heaven on earth. You know, a lot of people are preoccupied with one day, someday, you know, some people after I die, everything will be ours. Well, we have every single thing that we possibly need on this planet to all live fruitfully, everybody fed and sheltered, and connected. But we forget all the time and think that, you know, fear is what runs this world. And do I have enough? And what if I don't? And I think this really straps us to the scarcity mentality. But my vision, if I could run the world, Elise, it would be that everybody drops their ego for a moment to realize if we all believe that every one of us is actually connected, and quantum physics proves that. We're all particles and waves. If somebody's suffering over in India, I can be numb and ignore it. That will cost me, but they're part of me. Mm -hmm. So my cosmic ultimate vision is we all wake up to that and then start behaving as if that's so. So, and is that how you, when you look out at the world and see despair and global warming and the rise of terrifying leaders like what you've helped me a lot with this in the context of like overwhelming anxiety which I know you just somehow do not ever suffer from but like what what's happening there and then for those of us who are are debilitated by by that like what's the process for feeling like you can actually be effective yeah well number one it's Just do what you can do. Mm -hmm. In astrology, we say don't do what 
anyone can do. Do what only you can do with your particular talents, gifts, and flaws. So I'm just doing my part. And I feel like if everyone did their part and really was disciplined about it, like whatever your part is, if you're the best table setter in the world, then make sure every day somebody feels the glory of that. Mm. I think that a lot of people are resigned to letting other people run the show. But actually, everybody has their own little play that they're in. And it's our job to remove the obstacles to deliver our gifts. And I really think it's one person at a time. And then, like you are doing at Goop, if everybody's doing their beautiful part, the choreography is amazing, and look at the impact. For me, the Goop podcast is one of the best contributions to awakening culture that I know. I tell everyone about it. I really mean that. Look at the outcome. There's this free podcast within my mind, some of the brightest, greatest information on the planet available for free about awakening. Hmm. You're doing that. Thanks, bud. Is that in my chart? Yes, it is. (laughs) It totally is in your chart. I would expect nothing less. However, I will say, you know, talking about your chart, that costs you a lot to be this fountain for others. And I really know that about you. You're highly sensitive. You're a merger. You feel everything. So you show up every day despite what it costs you because you have a broader purpose. And I think that requires a ton of support so we don't just burn you out. But I think everybody could figure out what is that combination of gifts that they could start doing, even on the smallest scale. Just do your part. Yeah, I love that idea. And I also love how positive you are. Like, do you ever get a chart and look at it and just say, you're fucked? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's one of the biggest aha moments for me, studying astrology, and it is a deep study, and that's one thing I want to say, you can't do this superficially, and many people try. There, There is no fair playing field when it comes to astrology, just like in life. Some people have much more difficult crucibles this lifetime than other people, as illustrated in their birth chart. And I'm not a Pollyanna, and I am a cheerleader, but I'll tell it to you straight, as you know. So some people come in in the middle of the worst possible crisis in their life, and I can see it's not going to abate for a while. They're going to have to really be in it and attend to it and get the help they need. And I don't get to say to them, and then tomorrow, you know, Mm -hmm. no, dig in. It's going to get harder, but you can make the pain count. So I'm positive, but not in a way, with other people anyway, of saying everything will turn out in the end. Right. Some of us need much bigger oars to row the boat. Yeah. And do you, in, in, in the context of that wisdom, is, is it that they ultimately might have more to give? Or is it, does it just seem like there's no other purpose why someone would have a much harder life? That's a great question. People I know that have extraordinarily hard charts, and I know a few friends that have them, and they're usually called in astrology grand squares, which means there's no place of actual relaxation in the psyche. Mm -hmm. They're just constantly stressed. Well, that can either debilitate you and paralyze you, which some people really end up, you know, just with illnesses or in mental institutions, whatever, because the stress is just too much. But in a few cases that I know, the stress creates this creative tension and they contribute more than most people on 
every single day. I'm thinking of my friend Susan Shand, who has a grand square, and we call her Calamity Jane because everything that bad could happen <laughs> happens, and she's always laughing about it. But she serves people 100%, 100% of the time, and is this amazing interior designer. She's just phenomenal. And she never is complaining, yet lots of stuff happens to her that doesn't happen to ordinary people. Yeah. Does she find comfort in the fact that it's pre-ordained by her chart? Well, I don't know for her if she finds comfort (laughs) in it. I think it's given her a framework to understand why me. Because sometimes when we're having a very difficult lifetime of lots of adversity, a lot of us say, why me, when she seems to have it easier? And just from a cosmic perspective, the people that with the harder charts, in my mind, I tell them they wanted to push through more karma in one lifetime than other people, meaning they're in a more advanced class psychologically. That makes sense to me. I mean, I remember reaching out to you (laughs) when I, maybe I was about to have Sam. Yeah, because I think I met you when I was pregnant with my second, and I said, Oh, is there like an auspicious day? I'm supposed to be, oh, I I was supposed to be induced because he was so massive. So they were going to induce me early. And then it got pushed. Like the hospital was too busy and they pushed me through the weekend. And I was like, should I care? Like, does this have an impact? And you were like, no, souls choose when they will be born, even when they're induced. And I think it's helpful for us to realize If you subscribe to this theory, and I'm never one to say believe it, experience it is what I would say, because that's how astrology is for me. I don't even believe in it. I just experience it as true. That Mm -hmm. if you think that this was your soul's program of learning, no matter what you face, you have a different attitude about it. If you come in and think, why me, victim me, poor me, It's not a bad way to think, but in my own experience, it leaves me feeling more powerless and helpless Mm -hmm. as opposed to on some level, not the ego level, these set of circumstances are the ones I chose to bring out the grist Mm -hmm. and the grit in me and to become the blossom that I could be. Totally. No, and I think it's in my own experience with it, and it is an experience, right? It's like, that's why I think horoscopes in the newspaper are fun and entertaining, but obviously often don't land or don't resonate. It is it is sort of a, um, I guess, an opportunity to understand those things or those opportunity, I guess, to understand the opportunity and then take action on it. Because it, it also creates, I think, understanding my chart, it, for me at least, it's like created a lot of responsibility for me in a good way of, yes, this is how this is how I am and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's eliminated a lot of noise. That's a great way of summarizing it because what I tell people what was outstanding for me, it's not a justification for how I am. I think that's a very low use of astrology. But it certainly can point to you which things you really want to amplify and concentrate on in terms of learning and which things kind of you've got covered and don't need as much attention. So it eliminates some of the noise and chatter about be everything to everyone No, actually, there's some sectors you really want to concentrate on. And for example, in your chart, looking at it right now, you have an enormous amount of energy in the house of networking, communication, journalism, etc. So good for you. You're doing that. 
And Carl Jung's daughter said that what creates neurosis or suffering pathology is when we don't utilize some aspects of our native gifts and instead we shut them down, then we create a lot of pain inside ourselves. Yeah. No, and I think it, it makes sense because when I came to you and was looking for, I think there were like multiple opportunities if I was going to stay a goop or not. And obviously you helped me make absolutely the right decision. But you were like, you can't do that. Like some of them, <laughs> you were like, it is not, you cannot, it is not appropriate. Like you cannot do that. Well, I don't think I said it quite like that. But what I would say <laughs> to most people is it's not so much in alignment with the best use of your skills and yeah. talents. So it's not like a no, because we have free choice. But you were asking me which of these options seems spot on. And I said, mm, not that doesn't really ring my bell for you, because it's too businessy, corporate, and it doesn't use your creative magnificence like Goop does. Right. No, but it was very... Because then it just... You can shut the doors, right? Yeah. Like it allows sort of this definitive or, or clarification of path. And like in terms of the book, because I feel like there's... I haven't looked at every astrology book on the market, but this one is so helpful because even just... You were nice enough to print out all of my stuff, but like I could just go through and circle like all of the places where I am super primitive. <laughs> And that, I have another friend, uh, Jenna and Nicholas, and they're in their first two years of courtship and everything. So they dove into the book, doing it together. And they both went, oh, we're not crazy. That's how you are. That's how I am. And it gave them a little bit of play and humor yeah. about when they go down that hole of yeah. primitive behavior. Totally. Yeah. And it's, I also liked the warning or the admin, like, admonition at the beginning of as much, as tempting as it is to use the book to diagnose the people in your life, refrain. Like it can be, it can be a window, right? Of it can a be a window. Understanding. But I think that whenever we're taking someone else's inventory, mm -hmm. it's because we're terrified to look at ourselves. It's so much easier to look at you, Elise, and go, well, you could improve that and you could do that. But I have so much here that needs some development that why don't I just spend the time working on myself? We'll get back to Jennifer Freed in just a second. Some of the most interesting and compelling collaborations we've done at Goop have been the most unexpected, and I already know that Goop at Sea will fall into that category. Goop at Sea is a new wellness experience that we're doing on a, wait for it, cruise ship. It's a partnership with modern luxury brand Celebrity Cruises, and it's going down this August on board the Celebrity Apex. This ship departs from Barcelona and hits the French Riviera and the Italian Riviera over the course of 11 days. For an intimate group of guests participating in Goop at Sea, the trip will also include a very cool and unique wellness journey. Midway through the trip, we'll be hosting a series of workshops and classes designed to explore mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. And surprise, Gwyneth and I will be on board for a seaside conversation, which will likely be pretty wild. This stay in the greater trip is unlike any wellness or travel experience that I could have dreamed up just a few years ago, or even a year ago. There's many more components to Goop at Sea, which I don't have time to share here, but you can learn more about the experience, the available tickets, and celebrity cruises in general if you head to celebritycruises.com slash goop at sea. Back to my chat with Jennifer Freed. 
in astrology, when you get sort of clear hits, because I've experienced this in, in witnessing other readings that you've given, like you gave my mother a reading, which was amazing. And it was also, I think, the only time in her life she's ever had therapy. She cried. It was very beautiful. But you also predicted not only that my grandmother was going to pass this year, she passed on September 19th. I don't think I've told you that. But which was a very complicated relationship for my mother. But you also, you know, my mom lives in anxiety of dementia and being a bag lady. Those are the two of the primary totally irrational drivers in her life. But you were also like not happening. So where does that information come from? Well, that's great. Again, one of my teachers, Rick Tarnas, has this saying, astrology is archetypally reliable not predictive. So it talks about the probabilities and possibilities, not the facts of what will happen. So for example, in your mother's chart, there was an aspect called Saturn to the moon. And the moon is mother and inner needs. And Saturn is some finality and ending, Mm -hmm. and usually some kind of emotional hardship that one needs to learn from. Given your mom's age, given your concern about your grandmother, what I said was, it looks like a significant woman in your life may pass, or you'll need to take care of this person more than usual. And I try not to say, they will die, because (laughs) I don't know, because (laughs) maybe that's not what's going to happen. But then, in fact, and I'm sorry to hear or glad to hear whatever it was for you that your grandma passed. So you can see that there's going to be certain energies working. What I can't see, nor do I think anyone should tell you they can see, is what that actually will be. Uh, Like example in your chart right now. You have tremendously huge energy coming into the sector of home and family. So what that can mean is anything from like you getting pregnant out of the blue and adding to your family, oh my God, is your face going, no, 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 no. (laughs) Or it could mean expanding your actual home or getting a new home or remodeling or taking a massive adventure that has to do with homes. It isn't a science of this will happen, but there's certainly an expansion going on in your realm of home and family. And that's so funny. I've had probably five dreams in the last three weeks that I'm pregnant. Woo! I know. Woo! Watch out! I'm convinced that there is a third child who is just pressuring me. And planting all of these seeds in my consciousness. Well, I believe energetically (laughs) that this is the moment you would most want to be impregnated. And it doesn't mean it goes with your life or robs, but that's the kind of thing you look at and say, so choose wisely. If you want, this would be an opportune time. If you don't want, think about how else to bring in that child home energy that you've been longing for, getting signals about. I know. It's interesting. You heard it here first, guys, in 10 months if I'm pregnant. <laughs> and then I think even in the context of, because I feel like I've heard you talk to, sometimes you see like no children in people's charts, or is it not that? Well, again, in classical old astrology, it was much more predictive, and some astrologers are still like this. And if you see certain planets in the house of children, they will make predictions like you will have no children, you'll be barren, awful, awful things. 
And what I see is if there's a certain aspect to the house of children that it would be more difficult to conceive or there may be harder circumstances around having children, but I would never limit somebody's possibilities because I think, again, where we can take this is nobody's wildest imagination in terms of upscaling. Right, in terms of what's possible. Yeah, like I think in my chart, you told me you were shocked that I was married because my chart is very difficult in that. And it is kind of shocking to me that, I mean, it completely, everything you said completely made sense because I would say, and I think my family would agree, it's a miracle that I'm married. (laughs) And there proves the point. You do have what's considered a stressful aspect to the house of marriage, but it doesn't mean you wouldn't marry. It just means that once you're married, and I think I know this enough about you and Rob, that you're going to have to work on that marriage. It's not like the, you know, e-ticket at Disneyland. You're really going to keep working at it and commit to it, and therefore it will bear fruit. But some people have what's called like Jupiter in the seventh house, and that means their marriage is auspicious, and they get all kinds of goodies from it, and it's like a celebration every day, and that's not exactly your chart. No, not at all. It is, it is hard labor. It's wonderful, but it is, there is nothing easy. And that's the other thing about psychological astrology. We are not uh, resistant to hard labor. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lesson plan around marriage and you work it, hooray, because that really develops your character and then you can pay it forward. Like you're now becoming a role model for so many of these young women that you're mentoring and also speaking to. And when you talk candidly and vulnerably about your marriage on this podcast and other places, good for Rob, <laughs> you know what's it. true is people are learning to yeah. speak truth about relationship instead of pretend that once you're married, all your problems are solved. It's the farthest thing from the truth. Totally. And it wa- it comes in waves and it, it leaves in waves. And I mean, I think our relationships are our greatest teachers, right? So I think in that way, Rob has been the biggest gift in, in pushing me to sort of look at myself and what I can control. And I certainly cannot control him. I've learned that. Lucky him. <laughs> but this is where the social emotional education, one of my other aspects really comes in. I've been teaching teachers and teens and families social emotional skills for the last 20 years. And I actually think Every single thing comes down to whether or not you have healthy relationships, first with yourself, but then with your intimate others, and then with your community. And we are not taught, Mm. unless you were, we are not taught through family usually, and certainly not through school, how to actually have healthy relationships. Yet what does everybody most long for? To be loved. Mm-hmm. And to be and to belong, and as my friend Jennifer Buffett coined this phrase, we all want to be safe, seen, and celebrated. Mm. And to me, so much emphasis is on achievement right now. Well, I counsel billionaires and millionaires through astrology that are so unhappy because they don't have intimate connections, they don't know how to be part of a community. I don't care what you're. GDP is, if you don't have genuine, true friendship and community, you're the poorest person on earth. Mm -hmm. So yes, to me, everything's relationship. 
everything. Yeah. And it is interesting, right? It's like we're born into these charts, but we're not necessarily born into the skill set for navigating them or the sort of the interpersonal wisdom. And I know you make that point in your book that we have, it's like the biggest lesson for all of us because we don't really learn it. Yeah. We haven't been taught it. I think we are luckily in our evolving brains and hearts and bodies primed to learn it but we need to make it a priority. Yeah, It has to become the most important thing on this planet that we all learn to get along and love each other and not in an innocent and denying way, but in a true way, which involves resolving conflict peacefully and facing the shadow. But if we don't do that, it's not really worth all the stuff we ac- accumulate. It just yeah. isn't. No, I was at this... Um meditation retreat this weekend and at Amangani with this amazing Tibetan monk. And we chanted and we did a lot of wonderful chakra clearing exercises. And he said, and he, there were, there was a fair amount of wise lecturing and he was talking about anger. And essentially he was like, you know, if you think about your life as a forest, right? And it takes hundreds, if not thousands of years to grow this forest through kindness. If your anger is a Think of your anger as a wildfire. It can destroy that wilderness in a few minutes, right? And he was like, no one is aware, right? And he called out these five steps. One, impatience. Two, irritability. Three, tantrum. Four, anger. Five, rage. And that we have no awareness of those five components or their escalation in ourselves. And that like the minute you can sort of bring awareness and then step aside, avoid, take a second, which I thought was interesting because he wasn't like step into it. He was like, no, 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 that is the moment when you detach and remove yourself. But like what, what do you teach at AHA? That's a great question because what you were just talking about is what we call self-awareness and self-management. So mm-hmm. first of all, you have to know your cues. What do I know about when I start to get irritable? Because by the time it gets to anger or rage, you're not in control anymore. The reptilian Mm -hmm. brain is fully in charge. So first self-awareness, we teach youth, like how to identify your cues. Oh, my jaw starts to get a little tight. My heart starts to race. I start having repetitive, angry thoughts. You know, okay, track that. Mm -hmm. Now self-management, what do we actually need to self-soothe? Because we're not always... around a therapist or a counselor or something. So let's say I start to get irritable. What things can intervene with that that can calm me down? Because I'm not going to make my best choice with anybody when my emotions are hijacked. Mm -hmm. And so we teach them to write it out or tell themselves certain things. Like one of my best techniques when I'm starting to get really mad is, how much does this really matter? Mm. Just, you know, calm myself down like it feels like it's the most urgent thing ever but actually the guy just cut me off okay I'll still get there whatever right so we teach them to stalk the methods to calm themselves down so we teach them self-awareness social awareness self-management relationship skills and responsible decision making and youth are nuts for our program they want to learn this Mm -hmm. they see how 
completely perverted and awful this society is, and they don't really want to grow up into it. So they want to learn how to connect with themselves, how to have empathy for other people, how to not go down the rabbit hole of the worst possible thinking and acting, how to actually be creatively expressed without being self-sabotaging. So these are all the things we teach at AHA for teenagers and now teachers and parents, and we've done it for 20 years and served 35,000 people now. Yeah, and the world kind of needs this on a global scale. On a global scale. And the good news is social and emotional education has become much more mainstream. And now it has to be, I think, intervenous streamed into the school system. And the teachers need it the most because if adults don't show youth how to be an adult, how are they supposed to learn? Yeah. What do you tell kids who, I would imagine, if they don't have like full PTSD or trending in that direction, just from general anxiety around the world and and what they see and sort of our environmental destiny, like what how, what is the, in terms of that cycling, like how do you coach people to sort of calm them down themselves down? Is it catastrophizing to sort of to the end? And no. Be, no, but you taught me that once and it was helpful. the brain is so fragile. <laughs> what I like to do for everyone, including myself, it's not that different for young people, is first of all validate and acknowledge the feeling. Mm. Feelings need to be heard and shared, not fixed. So first, host the feelings. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be worried. It's okay to be anxious. And then it's about agency. What can you do to make your own life feel more part of the solution than the problem? Mm. So it's not about attacking it on the global front. None of us have a say about that. But I've learned for myself, when I'm creating, I'm actually not that screwed up. When I'm overthinking and when I'm worried and when I'm talking to people about all my fears and worries, I'm actually deluging myself with overwhelm. Mm. So it's about finding an outlet for young people to put into the world what they'd like to see. The perfect example is that young woman that's talking about climate. Mm. Greta. Greta. Oh, my gosh. Now, if every young person found their little cause and put that much energy into it, then you don't have as much time to be upset, worried, scared, and defeated. Mm -hmm. If you're putting something in, you feel better. Totally. And I think it also, going back to like people's individual charts and their roles to play, it's like, I think it's a call too to recognize and see all the helpers. Like, I think sometimes, at least I feel this way, we all get stuck. You know, it's like, oh, my God, I'm not doing enough. No, we're not doing enough. Like, how can I do more? I need to, like, uh, I need to figure out how to solve global warming, right? And then I recognize, like, not I don't get out of bed when I feel like that. Totally. So I heard a great thing the other day from Tara Brock, a great spiritual teacher, and she said, the worst thing we can do is tie our happiness to outcomes. So the ego loves outcomes. When I buy the house, when I quit the job, then I'll be happy. And what she was pointing to that I firmly believe is we're really much better off when we tie our happiness to being awake, compassionate, and contributing, Mm -hmm. not looking for the deadline. 
Mm-hmm. And there is no deadline on this planet. The only thing we know for sure is we're born and we die. So what can we do while we're here? Right. Totally. And how can we get how can we get into our hearts, right? Like and see more from our hearts and less from our minds. Yes. And I have a funny story to tell, and it's an it's a weird story, but I'm gonna tell it to you and it may work or not. I heard the other day about some young people in West Los Angeles going to bas mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs that were you know, 200000 to $500,000 a piece because they're all trying to outdo each other on the most extravagant entertainment for the young people that they possibly could have. And my friend was bemoaning this. And I said, wouldn't it be extraordinary if anyone had the guts to instead work with the homeless in downtown LA and then have lunch at the soup kitchen and actually make it cool and even more important that an initiation which is Mm -hmm. what those things are supposed to be, would be about becoming someone that gives back to your community instead of consuming more. And I think these are the adjustments that we can make if we have moral valor and courage. Mm -hmm. And that seems like it's part of the ethical code of Judaism. Yes, thank goodness. (laughs) I've been going deep on Judaism trying to get back in touch. Well, there with every single religion and spiritual path, the essence is pretty much the same, yeah. which is, as you are gifted, then give to others. Because our happiness isn't in getting everything we want, it's having an experience of mattering to others. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Jennifer Freed. For more on Jennifer, head to jenniferfreed.com. That's F-R-E-E-D. Make sure to check out a copy of her book, Use Your Planets Wisely, out now. And we've done tons of stories with Jennifer on Goop over the years. You can also hear her on the Goop Fellows podcast, where she was interviewed by Will Cole and Seamus Mullen. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Now, over to GP for today's AMA. I guess if I could wake up tomorrow in the body of someone else, Sophia, I would maybe pick like a really brave guy like Laird Hamilton or something, you know, or like some kind of amazing big wave surfer. I, I would, I, first of all, I think it would be interesting to be a man for a day to understand what the fuck they're thinking. And then also I think interestingly, you know, to be in a man's body, that would probably be a very different experience. But then maybe, yeah, I think I'd be Laird Hamilton for the day and see what that's like. Thank you, GP. If you have your own question you want GP to answer, drop us a line at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back next week for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.